So again, those who just arrived, welcome to this day on The Critic. I hope you all brought your sense of humor, because I did. And if you don't, it just ain't funny. And also, it's kind of heavy, so it's good to have some lightness with it, because otherwise it can be quite burdensome. So this is from um, Yogi Berra, who says, which is really the spirit of this training today, says, unless you change direction, you will continue in the same direction. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a great metaphor for our lives, but also a great metaphor for our work with the critic. If we keep going in the same direction of judging ourselves, we will keep going in the direction of judging ourselves. If we keep orienting to another direction that's not allied with the critic, that's not buying into and believing the stories our critic is telling us and demanding of us, we will therefore start to shift and live in different territory. Just as an aside, there's another famous uh, line from him, aphorism, if you come to a fork in the road, take it. (laughs) I used to think that was a physical fork, like, you know. Um, and then I, I, was, I, I read that first quote yesterday I was training in, in doing a training in the city and uh, this guy said oh yeah I, I, kn- I used to know him he was my neighbor and he had this driveway that forked and it didn't matter whether you went left or right it all went to his house <laughs> <laughs> so as simple as that phrase is also you know there's a lot, there's a lot in that phrase so um, okay So here we are in our work with the critic. My opening line of notes says, all judgments are self-judgment. All judgments are self-judgment. Because when we judge others, we're really judging ourselves or aspect of ourselves. So Humpty Dumpty's in the therapist office. Because he's kind of broken, you know, kind of like how we feel sometimes. And the therapist says, Humpty, Dumpty, we have to get you to the place where you can put yourself back together again. No more king's horses and king's men. So that's what we're doing here today. We're learning how to um, work with the broken parts of ourselves that have come, that arise from the the tyranny of the, the voices inside our heads. So... Um, what I'd like to start with is um, to just uh, hear from you your names for the critics. I've heard a few this morning, right? So the inner critic is the word I mostly use, but it could be also the judge. Um, and would you, is it, would someone mind scribing? Would you mind scribing? Do you have, do you have legible handwriting? Maybe. Maybe. There's a lot of critical people in the room, so watch out, you know. <laughs> um, I'm sure it's going to be just perfect. So... Um, with s- shout out, what, what are your names for the critic? And you just, just want to write them down. The judge. the judge. Ming the Merciless. Ming the Merciless. Ooh. <laughs> Ming the Merciless. Yeah. yeah. What else? Okay? <laughs> yeah, totally. The bitch. The bitch. Oh. That's mild. <laughs> How are we doing over there? What else? Names for the critic. 
Bertha? Okay. Personalize it. Yes. Negative subconscious. How about the tyrant? I heard the tyrant over here. What else? Yes. My older brother. There you go. My older brother. Or dad. Or mom. Yeah. The committee. Right. That's a whole other story. There's not just a voice. There's a whole committee in there. Yeah, it's good enough. There was, wait, which one? Did, uh, there was one that I missed. Tyrant. Tyrant. T-Y-R-A-N-T. They. Huh? They. They, as in... They. Okay, they. Okay. What a... Failure police. Oh, that's a good one. Failure police. What else? My worst enemy. You don't have to get every single one, but it's just, <laughs> and you can you can flip it over if you're running out of space. What else? Drill sergeant. Drill sergeant. Good one. How about the taskmaster? What else? Inner bully. Inner bully. Yes, inner bully. Yeah. The perfectionist, right. Let's get right down to it. Huh? Inner bully and perfectionist. Sorry, there's this torture with the spelling. I don't have my spell check. Ah, right. So the, the perfectionist, the inner bully, what else? You do, you got lots of spell checkers here. Uh, what else? I have, um, don't worry about the spelling. Uh, the killjoy. Yeah. G e a n t. Yes. Anybody? <coughs> the okay. Uh, the underminer. Sorry. The the underminer. The buzzkill. Two Cs. That's right. That was the word I was looking for. The saboteur. Yes, the inner saboteur. The leaky faucet. The leaky faucet. <laughs> That's probably enough. That's probably enough. You can just fl- you can flick the pages back over. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. I have the inner controller, the destroyer. Um, so you know, there's there's a range, right? You see the names, and there's a range of voices and and qualities that these names uh, point to. So. Um, you know, a lot of the work that we're doing today is is just taking the the m- often murky voices that swirl around the fog in our head and bringing it to the foreground. Right? That's really what mindfulness does: is it crystallizes and clarifies and illuminates with awareness 
what's going on. It's not the only thing we'll do. We'll talk about how to work actively with those voices. But um, sometimes we don't even recognize the voices. Sometimes the, the, the critic, we, is, we think of it as a coach. Don't do this, do that. Do that, do a bit more. Do, do less of that. No, too much, no, too little. Right? So we, uh, it masquerades as, as often friendly, supportive advice. Right? That if you don't do it well, then you experience one of these aspects of the critic. Right? So it's multifaceted. So, um, you know, just weave in the Buddhist context here. Um, so in the texts, there's a, there's a personification of uh, the critic that's known, that's um, called Mara. Mara is the voice of unconsciousness. And um, he is a uh, shadowy figure that arises in the in the Buddha's life um, arose on the night of his enlightenment and with a very familiar voice that will be very familiar to you questioning, saying just as the Buddha is about to attain in, in profound awakening that the last voice of sort of the egoic unconsciousness says who do you think you are? How many times have you had that said to you or you say that to yourself? Who do you think you are to be sitting on this throne of enlightenment? Or fill in the blank. Who do you think you are to be sitting here at Spirit Rock while there's millions of people suffering? Or whatever the story is. Who do I think I am to be giving this teaching in front of 200 people? Who do you think you are? And the Buddha didn't respond verbally, he put his hand, so the mythology goes anyway, put his hand on the earth and he said, the earth is my witness. Which is basically saying, I am worthy to be here. I am of this earth and I take my seat and I am of value and I'm worthy to be here as a human being to attain awakening. It's a very profound symbol. So this statue here, this mudra is touching the ground, is that, is that mudra. So I find that, that, that image very moving to, because what the critic does is undermines our fundamental sense of worth and value. Right? It may say a litany of things that are harsh and terrible and untrue and difficult, but the net result of that is it attacks and undermines our sense of value, our sense of okayness to be here in our own skin. Yeah? Does that sound familiar? Yeah? So we walk around feeling unworthy, feeling lesser than, feeling small, feeling deficient, which is very, very painful and one of the deepest existential pains that we can feel as a human being. And it's rampant in Judaic Christian culture for various reasons. And there are cultures that don't, that don't have that cloak, that cloud, and you see there's a certain robustness and a certain buoyancy in the people from those cultures that, have been, that are not, they're not burdened by that heaviness. Right? 
So in the Tibetan culture, there's the understanding that we're born with Buddha nature, not with original sin, Buddha nature, right? That you have the capacity to awaken. Right? You have innate goodness. Right? What would it be if you were told from the day you were born, you have innate goodness within you, not sin, right? That's a very different message. Right? And so the critic dovetails onto that. It's partly where those voices come from. So this is a quote from Hamid, or Almas, who's uh, founder of the Ridwan School, the Diamond Approach work, who uh, I've drawn a lot of my work from working with the critic, not only from them, but um, very skillful uh, approach to the critic. He says, the problem is not that we want to be happy, but that we're going about it in the wrong way, which is exactly why the Buddha also taught. When we really see that what we're going about when we really see that we are going about it in the wrong way, we quit. And then life can unfold on its own. We cannot make it unfold. We can quit our rejection, our judgment, our intolerance. But we will quit these patterns only when we completely and totally see what they are doing, that they are hurting us. You know? So until we feel the pain of these voices, these ways that we speak to ourselves, we won't stop. Right? So all of you have come to that realization, right? Which is actually the good news. <coughs> as painful as that revelation is, it's good news that you see, wait a minute, I'm so hard on myself. I'm so harsh and critical or t- t- tyrannical or, and it's hurting and it's painful. And I want it to end. I want to find a different way. I want to be kinder to myself. I want to be compassionate with myself. I want to, I know there's a different way to move through life. So this is the good news when we step back and go, what are these voices? Why am I so plagued by this, 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 this tyranny? Um, If Mark is listening to this or if there's a volunteer, can we have some uh, regulation of the heat? So we're getting too hot in here. Uh, Oh, I'm just getting hot because I talk about the critic. I don't know. Um, so this is from Francoise Fenelon, a Christian uh, um, philosopher. He says, as light increases, this is a, is a metaphor for awareness and meditation, as light increases, we see ourselves to be worse than we thought. We are amazed at our former blindness as we see issuing forth from the depths of our heart a whole swarm of shameful thoughts and feelings he says in this, I would say, somewhat Christian um, metaphorical language, like filthy reptiles crawling from a hidden cave. I wouldn't go that far, but anyhow. We would never have believed that we had harbored such things and we could stand aghast as we watched them gradually appear. But we, we must neither be amazed nor disheartened. We are not worse than we were. On the contrary, we are better. But while our, lights diminish, while our faults diminish, the light by which we see them waxes brighter and we are filled with horror. But bear in mind for your comfort that we only perceive the malady when the cure begins. We only perceive the malady when the pure cure begins, right? So when, you, when this comes into the light of awareness, right, that is the beginning of the cure. Without the awareness of like, oh my God, my, my, my mind, my voices, my, my, my thoughts are so critical. Without that awareness, it's just going to continue, which it does for most people most of the time, as you probably know, in your family and friends and work. 
it's just a cultural norm, it's a culturally accepted phenomena. So, and it's amazing how pervasive it is. You know, my, one of my teachers gave me a practice when I was on intensive retreat to count my judging thoughts every day. <laughs> 123, 349, 762, like, oh my God, this is a lot of judging thoughts. Um, but again, it was that practice of, of stepping back and bringing them into relief. Going, oh wow, there's really a cacophony in there. And, and, and as someone said, it's not just one voice, it's a whole committee. There's a whole, like, there's, you know, there's an executive director that's hired a whole bunch of staff to you know, work on me in different ways, you know. <laughs> Full-time project, looking for funding. <laughs> so this is, uh, as I said, I, I want to bring some humor into this day because it is, it is heavy and I think it's useful to bring some levity. So this is a, a cartoon strip that I like a lot called Rhymes with Orange. And uh, so the cartoon is about, this one is about a checklist of feeling pathetic. And you might resonate with some of these uh, mental habits. Examine your face closely in the mirror and notice all the flaws. Relive embarrassing and awful moments that occurred years ago. It's a popular meditation pastime. Choose somebody and compare yourself unfavorably to them. Right? Someone pointed that out, right? We look around for the smartest person or the most beautiful person or the fittest person or we name it. And then we feel crappy, right, in comparison. It's like there's no value to that habit whatsoever, and yet we do it quite a lot. Think about the people you regularly disappoint, and I add, especially the people who, um, uh, and I, and I, no, I add, um, just think about people you regularly disappoint, especially those who share your last name, <laughs> right? So you all just came from Thanksgiving last week, right? So I'm sure many of you are with family, and there's nothing like being around family to... You know, have those buttons, buttons, buttons pushed because they put them there. So you know, triggers and you know all the stuff that come up around family. And lastly, disregard compliments from people who supposedly love you. And there's a picture of a woman getting a compliment, and the thought bubble is in the head. She says, "Don't patronize me." So, um, and then the last one was um, resign yourself from believing that from now on this is how you'll always feel. Right, that's another setup for misery. So um, the critic has many faces, many facets, many voices, and good to be familiar with them uh, because we may recognize certain aspects of our judging mind, but we may miss other things because we, we may just think it's sound advice or coaching or whatever else we name we give it. So the most obvious one that someone pointed to earlier is perfectionism. Right? This idea that we're not perfect enough, that everybody, everything has to be a certain way, and when we don't perform in a certain way, we get judged, we get criticized, right? externally or internally. Right? So how that manifests in a, in a may experiential way is it manifests as it's not okay to be human. It's not okay to have foibles and idiosyncrasies and personality and your own challenges, right? It's n- that if to the critic, it's mostly unacceptable to have that. And there's a sort of ongoing 
endless tirade of how to improve, right? Then it fuels the, 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 the endless self-improvement. So, um, and it's also the voice of, it's not okay to make mistakes, right? There's some Zen phrase about uh, the path of awakening is going from one great mistake to another. And that's life, you know. The founder of uh, Honda, Sochiro uh, Honda said, um, success is 99% failure, right? So... That's how we grow, it's how we learn. Right? And you know, in some in a broader perspective, there's no such thing as mistakes. It's just choices that we've made. So the critic rem- acts as the reminder that we're not doing it right, right. Whatever standard of perfection or idealism that you have, it will remind us that we're not there. So the easiest place to look at that is in meditation. Right? How many times has your critical mind had something to say about your meditation? Right? Are you spaced out? I can't believe you're thinking. God, you thought for so long. God, you know, you'd spirit rock. Come on, get it together. Everyone's meditating. Everyone looks like a Buddha except you, <laughs> you klutz. Right? And we give ourselves a hard time for our natural tendencies, right? Like that, that, that phrase, you know, it is, you're not your fault. It's not your fault that your brain thinks tens of thousands of thoughts a day. That's just the nature, it's a hardwiring of the brain. It's not your fault that you get triggered into fight flight when you feel threatened. That's just the hardwiring of the biology of a of of nervous system. So the critic li- takes the vantage point of 2020 hindsight. How often are you judging and beating up on yourselves for something that you did in the past that you now see was not necessarily the best choice, whether it was the right the person in relationship or the stock options or whatever it was that you were choosing, that house or that job or right? How easy it is to look back and go, God, that was a terrible decision. <laughs> that was really unfortunate. I, I went down that path with that person or that business or that, you know. And of course, we, we do the best we can. We always do the best we can, given the information we have. And it's completely unfair to judge ourselves based on 2020 hindsight. Because of course, things look different with that perspective. So I think about this a lot when, I, when I'm driving, right? If I'm not using Waze or one of the you know, driving app. And, um, you know, I'm driving to the airport and there's a different choice of roads. And I go down one road and it's horrible traffic jam my critic says I told you you should have gone the other way (laughs) as if we know that other way is better quicker faster right or then we decide to go the other way and that's even worse and because it says I told you to stay in the other lane (laughs) right yeah there's no doing it right sometimes the critic takes both sides right where it's this this is it's impossible setup where you can't win so Walter Scott says, caught not the critic's smile nor dread his frown. So, um, so an example, um, I noticed this when I, so I'm a big outdoor person now, backpacker and stuff, um, and, and I'm also very spontaneous, so I'll often just you know, throw a bunch of stuff in the car and go, and, then, and, I, and I love that ability just to get up and go, 
And then, of course, when I get there, of course, I've forgotten something like, you know, my water filter or something or, you know, my stove or something quite important. And they could say, oh, I can't believe you're so disorganized. It was praising me for the spontaneity and then judging me for the forgetting something, you know? Or you, you know, you're sleeping in the morning, you, you know, it's, it's Saturday morning, you, you know, you're tired, but, you know, you want to commit to your practice. Um, and, you know, you, the alarm goes off and it's like, oh, and I need more sleep. They say it's spirit rock, you've got to take care of yourself, be nice to your body, so I'm going to sleep some more. So, like, you're, you know, you're giving yourself a pat on the back for sleeping more and then, you, and then you wake up at 10 o'clock and your critics all over you for being a slob and sleeping in and not practicing and, right, it's like a lose-lose. So, as I said, sometimes the, the critic takes the voice of a coach, like a meditation coach. Yeah. Keep on your breath. No, stay present. No, don't wander off. Yeah, doing good. Doing good. No, you blew it. No, doing good. No, keep it on. Right? But it has a, rather than the voice of wisdom, it has a tightness in it, it has a punitive quality to it. <clears throat> it has a violence, right. The, the, the impact of the critic on us is violent. Yeah. It's inner violence. Yeah. It's a kind of inner terrorism, actually. So the most common and I'd say sort of ubiquitous voice that kind of covers all of these areas is, is the mantra of you're not good enough. Yeah? You're not enough fill in the blank. You're not smart enough. You're not quick enough. You're not wise enough. You're not young enough. You're not, you know, fill in the blank, right? How many times do we have that mantra? You're not wealthy enough. You're not, who knows, you know? But that sort of, that voice is always quite quick to remind us, you know. And if we have, if we, you know, hanging out with the critic sister, the comparing mind, then it, you know, of course, it's not enough because we'll always find somebody in the room, smarter, brighter, younger, older, whatever it is that we're comparing ourselves to. Right? We'll find evidence to prove that. So I was once working in, um, so I do consulting in companies and. As uh, working with this hedge fund, uh, this local hedge fund, and um, uh, I walked into the, and I was working with a few of the uh, staff, some traders and executive folks, and and this particular day, everybody was very celebratory, and I was like, "Oh, what's going on?" And I'd heard that one of the traders who I was working with had made this really outrageous, um, outrageously successful trade. Um, and had made the company uh, through that process about $50 million, which I thought was pretty good for a day's work. And this is in pre-boom, you know, uh, pre-bust, should I say, uh, world. And uh, so I'm curious to meet with him. I meet with him in the afternoon. And he doesn't look, he doesn't look as celebratory as everybody else is in the office. And I was like, huh, that's weird. You know, and I said, you know, how are you doing? You've, I heard you've did pretty good today. It was a good day's work. You could take the rest of the year off. <laughs> and he said, well, yeah, it was good, but, you know, I knew if I'd held on a few more hours and I bought a little earlier, I would have made a few more million. Right? It wasn't enough. Right? It wasn't enough. Didn't Rockefeller say, there's never enough money. Right? There's never enough so whatever, whatever, whatever domain we are in, we can apply that. Never enough intelligence, never enough learning, never enough who knows what, weight loss. 
And of course, our culture doesn't help. Right? We have this, this uh, fanaticism around image, around beauty, around weight, around fame, around you know, external appearance that is a field day for the critic. You know? And I look at in the magazines and the, the images that portrayed of perfectionism that they're all, you know, what do you call that when you fiddle with images on the... Photoshopped, right, or photoshopped and... Um, and yet it's, it's a kind of a collective trance of perfectionism that we, are, that we have reflected back to us on TV, in magazines, and on billboards every day. So there's a constant self-referencing about not matching up to beauty, image, fame, whatever it is. You know, a friend of mine um, wrote a, a blog article recently about um, you know, the phenomenon of Facebook posting and, and Instagram. And he was commenting, he was on vacation in Hawaii uh, with his kids and he was about to post some, 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 you know, pictures from the holiday. And he noticed all the pictures his friends had posted as a big family vacation. And he realized he, nobody posted pictures of like the family arguing or, you know, grumpy or upset with each other. It was all like everyone's happy, happy. And he's like, that, that wasn't his experience. Like it was an, a good holiday, but there's also drama and frustration and kids acting out and tantrums and people pissed off with each other. Typical, you know, life. And he, he chose not to post because he didn't want to keep m- portraying this image of my life is, you know, la-la land and you should think well of me, right? Um, so we also buy into this collective trance of portraying this image of what the critic would, would regard as a perfect life. I'm not, I'm not saying don't post, but just to be mindful of what, what we're portraying and how we're buying into the, 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 the very system that's also a cause for our own pain. So, and then um, for those of you who are parents, you know, has is, is, is any parent ever thought they've done it right? <laughs> or done enough, right? Or figured it out? Right? No, it's like life. It's like, it's like, anybody figured out relationships? Like, I don't think so, you know? It's just poly, you know, it's what we do, right? And, and of course, I, mean, it's, but I think I feel particularly for parents because it's, it's an impossibly challenging task, beautiful but challenging. And I see the, 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 the extra burden, not only is that hard enough, but then how harsh we are with ourselves. You know, I listen to my dad who worries and, and, and is, is sort of, um, uh, what's the word, um, remorseful about various things and actions he did as a parent. You know, he was 21 when he had me. Like, I can't imagine having a child when I'm 21. And he was in the Navy, he wasn't around much of the time. Right? And so it's an impossibly h- harsh, hard task. This is from Manny Lamont. She says, I'm probably just as good a mother as the next depressed, obsessive, compulsive, paranoiac. (laughs) So, and just to, um, I'll say more about this later, but just to clarify, when I talk about judgment and criticism, I'm not talking about the healthier forms of that, right? There are healthier forms of discernment, of discrimination, of evaluation, even critique. You know, we need critique in our work and often in our lives. But I'm talking about the judgment 
that is a direct attack on our sense of value, our sense of worth, our sense of goodness as a human being. That's what we're wanting to unhook from because that is what plagues us with a sense of uh, despair and hopelessness. Whereas discernment, so a good example, so we're meditating, right? And say we sit down and we've got a lot of stress in our lives. So guess what happens in the meditation? We have a lot of stressful thoughts. At the end of the meditation, we can look back with discernment or discrimination, go, wow, that meditation, I was really lost in thought most of the time. I wasn't very concentrated. What about that? Looks, sounds like a reflection of my life. Okay? Or from a judging point of view, a critical point of view, God, that was pathetic. I mean, your, I mean, your concentration was hopeless. I mean, you, I don't know why you bother. I mean, really, just it's pathetic. Right? Very different, same data, different style of evaluation. So, a couple of other last things. Um, and again, I'll talk more about this as we go through the day. Um, one of the, to, to, to be mindful of why we let our critic go on as much as it does. Right? So it wouldn't be so bad if, you know, say you know, we forget our friend's birthday and we forget to call them or, or whatever to show up to a party or something. Um, you know, It'd be one thing to, for our critics to say, you know, that was really, you know, you know, it's too bad that you forgot that. You really care about this person, and I think they feel let down. Right? If that was just once, that would be, okay, yeah, I could hear that. Yeah, I kind of blew it, and it was, I'll make amends. But of course, it's never once, is it? Right? How, you, know, you do something, you make a mistake, you make an error, you let someone down. How many times do you have to hear it? A lot, usually. And for how many days, months, years? That that will you see? I told you so. You got a terrible memory. Remember that birthday three years ago? Right. It hounds us. And the the one of the reasons we give such authority to the critic is because we believe it. Right. And this is a really important point: how we give authority to those voices and how much we believe them. Usually, we believe them, and if we believe them, then we give it carte blanche right to then be on our case for a long time because we feel like we deserve it, because we feel bad, because we feel wrong, because we've, we've internalized that sense of being bad and wrong and therefore we should be, be punished by self-judgment. Because if we don't punish ourselves, how will we ever improve next time? As if somehow berating myself will actually make it more likely to remember my friend's birthday next time. Which is actually the research shows that's not actually the case. So, so to think about what kind of authority do you give that voice and what kind of permission do you give it to slay you? Right? So the, the, a, a good example of this would be, so the same example, you forget your friend's birthday and you're remorseful and they're hurt. And um, imagine your best friend was with you and was just kind of following you around that day, you know, but it was taking the voice of the critic. And every maybe five or ten minutes, I can't believe that you forgot a friend's birthday. I mean, do you know how hurt they are? You know, I mean, you did that last time too. I mean, just think of all the things you've, you know, and blah, 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 right? Imagine your best friend just verbalizing your critical voices. How long would you put up with that in real time? Like, maybe after the second sentence, like, whoa, wait a minute, you just told me that five minutes ago. Like, okay, back off, I got it. 
I forgot my friend's birthday. Thank you for that information. I already know that. I'm going to make amends. Right? Very different in real time. Right? We don't. We generally don't let people talk to us. You know, in that way. But we let ourselves, our critical voices, have a field day. So that's just an interesting thing to reflect about. How much room do we give it? How much airtime? So we're going to do some practice in a minute. Um, Let's look at the time here. Oh, I think we need a break because I didn't. Uh, we need some. How many of you don't have anything to to write on? Just raise your hands. Okay. All right. So we'll fix that in the break. Um, but I'll give you some. So I, I'll tell you what we're going to do. So um, one of the reasons why our critic goes on so much and has so much room to judge is because. Um, w- we're often not so clear what the judgment is and how to discern between an ordinary thought and a judging thought. And what one of the first pieces of work that we need to do with our judgments is to get them from the fog of our head onto paper. We want to write them out. Right? So I hope you all brought a lot of paper. No, just kidding. <laughs> So um, we want to write them out because when we write them out, one of first it forces us to clarify, well, what are my judgments? What am I, I'm going to ask you to write out your top 10 or if you have time, 20 judgments. Sometimes we find we can't stop writing. We have such a long list. Sometimes we find actually there's not that many. It's just the same old judgments. You're not good enough. You're never going to get your shit together and you're hopeless. Like that's the mantra. So, um, but when we put them down on paper and then we read them, when we read, we bring in a different cognitive faculty than when we're just listening to the thoughts tumbling around in the murkiness of our brain. Right? So we bring, a, we bring a little more objectivity and discernment when we read. And then we can do some work around those judgments. Right? So um, what I'm going to suggest... Um, is Mark around? Mark, do you have paper handy? Yeah, paper and back here. Oh, look at you. This guy's amazing. <laughs> All right, so we're, g- we're going to do this exercise and then we'll take a break. So if you raise your hand, if you need pencils, and if we can get some volunteers to pass some of those out. And if you need paper also, there's paper. Hopefully they're very large pieces of paper. We might actually need some... Um, you know, some printer paper, Mark? So, for those of you who do have your pens and notepads and paper, um, I'm going to ask you to, uh, we'll do one at a time, come up and write our, just kidding. (laughs) Um, We'll post them on, we won't post them on Facebook later. Um, So I'm going to ask you to uh, write down your list of your top 10 judgments, self-judgments, self-criticisms. So it doesn't matter how many you get to, whether it's only 5 or 20. um, Just begin to write and uh, try and do them somewhat concisely. 
So what are your top 10, five or 10 self-judgments? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.